So we're here in the billiards room of Moortown Golf Club. I'm currently watching Sam Williams and Clyde Johnson battle it out over the pool table, snooker table I should say, here at Moortown. Um, we were lucky enough to get Clyde on to the podcast and he invited us up to Moortown to see the works and play a bit of golf. And For those of you who don't know, Clyde is an architect, a shaper, bulldozing savant and um, has worked on some fabulous projects around the world like St. Patrick's Links, TRI, TRI, however you say it, which will correct me on the way around. And um, yeah, I think we're in for a fascinating podcast once these boys decide to, uh, to actually pot a ball. So I'll sign off and then we'll jump into the pot. Watch this. Into. You're looking at orange like you're a bit offended by the orange microphone. <laughs> I prefer blue. Well, we don't have. I don't. Th- I don't think we have a blue one. Negative. Clyde, welcome to the podcast. We are in a pretty close contender for a good location for a pod here. Looking over the 18th green and the snooker table. Can't go wrong. We were talking about this before we got going. Snooker tables in golf clubs. There is a place for them, isn't there? You're a bit of a snooker fiend i sense you spotted the tables in your eyes you were unwrapping up. the snooker the, the the velvet off the snooker table before we'd even got through the room yeah it's been a long it's been a long time since i played but i do enjoy the odd frame every now yeah, and again nice. so it was good to who so you two just just went to war what was it was, it was at least a 20 point difference i think at least you know you your safety should, game was on point to be fair and i, I had a couple of i've got that black in off the cush that was that was quite tidy to be yeah, fair that helped help things <laughs> out just the point where we say cush now off the cush we yeah. know that we play that much snooker that we can say yeah kush. just rolling back the years here um so we've played more town today 16 holes of more town got absolutely hosed on i think today and you've been obviously working we should say clyde this is a day where you realise how much you love the game when you can get some enjoyment out of being outside in what is the most miserable day of the year, I think. No, not for you. <laughs> well, no, I, there's no chance I'd be playing out there. We're lucky, we're lucky the last three days we got most of the work done because the, the soil's out there, well, especially on the, I guess what you'd call the bog, which is the middle part of the course, are, are pretty nasty. Even, even in dry times last year, I was shaping away. You get one chance to build the bunker because the machine's sunk a foot two foot no just as you just as you sat on top of the, the what, work so area if you so don't get it right you've yeah you you've, pretty much you don't you can't really it. go back in there because you know you will find like when we were building or extending a bunker uh yesterday on the left of the third hole you know there's, there's the old clay drain pipes that they put in whenever they put them in two and a half feet deep that was like six inches under the surface which gives you an idea of how much the ground and is this wow. the time of year you want to be doing this stuff, or do you do it? Because uh, I mean, there's a cold spring, and like I don't, I might like all the time for listeners of this pod to get bored of it. But Blackwell's a good reference point. Doing work in spring was tricky this year because we didn't get the growth till really late. Uh-huh. Is that when you try and time it, or? I mean, in an ideal world, you're probably in the UK and Ireland. You're probably thinking about working in the spring where it's dry, and then you're returfing. How are you doing seed or turf? As the the start of summer hits. Yeah. Uh, although that being said, it's not the ideal not always either look from a construction point of view it works nicely but you know when you get to this time of year you kind of got the weather the rain can can set you back yeah, when yeah. you're working on heavier soils working in a, working in a lynx environment you know you can kind of pretty much go it's whenever a bit more you want forgiving. 
So, so what's the what's the brief of the work here at Moortown then? So we've seen quite a bit of obviously there's some stuff happening behind the 18th green here. We're out. We've seen some stuff on you know three and four and dotted around. What's the what's the brief of the work? So it was the brief was really. Uh, not sure it was a brief as such, but the the club the club's goal. So the club hosted the 1929 Ryder Cup. Uh, so centenary is uh, approaching yeah. in a few years' time. So they're just looking really to polish up the golf course. Uh, it was an Alison McKenzie course originally. Uh, it's evolved over the years through uh, enforced boundary issues with the sale of Sanmoor Golf Club and Muralton Golf Club. Oh, four holes of Sandmoor Golf Club and Muralton Golf Club on the boundary. So, the golf course has changed over the years. They've you know they've done some work over the last decade with Ken Moody. A mm -hmm. uh, lot of good tree management work out there. Yeah. Uh, and you know at this point we're kind of just looking to really improve the details uh, of the golf course. You know there's there's certainly restorative elements to that. Uh, but yeah, this you know last year last year we worked on the fifth hole, which is kind of like a reimagination of a hole that was once. A really hard dog leg uh, around the copse of trees back in Mackenzie's day and up until about five years ago uh, but tree clearing and the addition of two holes on the inside of that uh, built by Donald Steele in the late 1980s fifth and sixth hole kind of opened up an opportunity to rethink that hole so yeah. that was kind of like a reimagination with uh, some restorative elements, you know. So that one's one where rather than just restoring the Mackenzie stuff, that's a case of saying, well, let's try and make a really great short four here that's harmonious with what Mackenzie might have built if he didn't have the boundary left of five. Yeah, so we kind of we kind of restored the original playing strategy, you know, especially for the weaker player, you know, mm. kind of remove two bunkers on the right so you can drive further to the right there and restore the, the great expanse of sand or a, a slightly smaller version of the great expanse of sand front right of the green and the and the rear bunker. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, if you, you bail out to the right, uh, you've got a tricky approach in, but, you know, for the, for the stronger player, we opened up the line. It was direct to the hole. Hole plays about 300 yards on the straight line and set. It was a great natural bank that kind of lent itself yeah. to three new bunkers that kind of blend in visually you've got Heather that's with, the, with the bunker behind the green. So Is that, is that the... The more fun part of the job when you can when you get a brief like that where it's like okay well let's try and make something a bit different here is that where it gets the creative juices flowing for you? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of difficult. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, you know, I'm kind of fortunate. I get to help out on some new build golf courses, so when I get to consult at places, I'm not as bothered about putting my own mark on on places. Mm. So I, I can you know, especially a historical golf club like this. I, I tend to uh, think more about you know how we can uh, reinstate some of the older features or make more of them with the existing golf course through simpler measures, uh, you know, rather yeah. than rather than put my own stamp on things. But you know, there were, you know, there kind of was a, an opportunity there, you know, where we could be respectful to what was there originally, but you know, give a little bit of extra yeah. excitement for and the better so player. There's so much to sort of like pick through here, isn't there? Because you know, I feel like you know we're sat in you know. Mackenzie land really here we're sort of Moortown didn't realise how close that is to all Woodley by the way you know we're kind of this was his first solo design there's the whole restoration thing you know I think we need to talk a little bit about you and your intro to golf and then obviously the work that you do with you know new builds and work with Tom and your stuff in the UK there's there's so much to go out here um just, just on Moortown the stuff around the Mackenzie stuff how much do you read into you know 
his work elsewhere and further outside of Leeds? Do you see a big difference there in sort of some of the later McKenzie stuff and the really bold, ambitious stuff out in maybe America and stuff? Or, you yeah. know, how would you kind of place Mortan in sort of McKenzie's repertoire, so to speak? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because McKenzie's work, you can probably divide it into three, maybe three categories. I mean, you know, he came along in the UK after Colt. You know, he he was never going to be the big name. Uh, golf has already been relatively long established, even inland. So I'm not sure. And you know, budgets. You know, he kind of he didn't get great sites. So I'm not really sure he was ever really allowed mm. the creative freedom that he that he wanted, or that he certainly demonstrated when in his work in California. Yeah. Uh, so you know, and you know, even some even some of the funkiest stuff he include at places like Headingley down the road, and uh, you know. Sandmer as well. Locally, it's also Mackenzie. You know, I'm not sure some of his his funkier, more artistic stuff was lasted as long as it might have done. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you've got you've got the sandbelt courses in Australia and uh, Titarangi in New Zealand, where he kind of left 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 his ideal ideal or ideas uh, for the local Alex Russell in the case of uh, Australia to build they really? yeah. Alex Russell so, you know, so, so, that, so that work kind of that work turned out really differently and then you know where he got to spend more time uh, in America and you know where he had had more money to spend more more artistic freedom because you know I, I'm not sure the, the locals knew what golf should be you know I think he really showed off his creative uh, his creative strengths there but uh, I think of all the, of all the great early architects or golden age architects as we like to call them uh, Mackenzie probably understood or at least demonstrated most of the ideals of the old course uh, and I think that kind of shows at places like Moortown to you know he's pretty to a lesser extent you know Royal Melbourne's probably the, the closest golf course that I can think of to playing like the old course anywhere in the world uh, but you know he's just a, all with Limur Town he's just really clever at using the slope the cant of the, the land and just bunkering really efficiently to make the golf in- interesting you know we're looking at 18 and that's a pretty that's a pretty good example you know the ground kind of tilts left to right long brawny path up the hill and you know the front of the greens bunkered from left to right across the angle you just play to the outside the fairway get, get a good angle and open yourself up to the green I think with <coughs> Mackenzie you got you know when think about like the spirit of St Andrew's book and he one of his things is he felt like every golf hole should be able to be played with a putter if that's what you want to do which leads itself onto a fabulous little story about here in Moortown where he built the par three here that was the first hole he did and they kind of went off to I'm sure you guys know these, this story better than I in fact I'll probably leave it for you to tell tell us about how he sort of came about getting the job here at Moortown uh, the, the, well, the history's not that fresh in my mind, but the Gibraltar hole was the, the first hole he built, which is uh, a par three, which, you know, people say is loosely based on the Redan hole at North Berwick, the 15th hole there. Uh, you know, it, it was it was, it was was quite, it was a relatively difficult or expensive piece of construction to bench the green into the hillside. Uh, but, you know, he kind of used that to sell his abilities uh, and the idea of a golf course out here to future members and just just one hole yeah. on the back of and that and then took then took nom- like sponsors from there and nominations from members to then go off and yeah I'm pretty sure I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the story off one hole. they were going to build nine or something but then they ended up 
getting loads of people that were subscribing to it and then wanted then it was like well we've got enough money now for 18 so let's let's do 18 and seemingly they had enough cash for a really good billiard room and <laughs> and some exquisite good dark red leather chairs which you know it was it was plentiful but it's a great golf hole that 10th isn't it even now i know you said some of the stuff with the green may have changed over time but it's a beautiful par three yeah yeah it's a really fun really fun shot probably probably suits a cut back into the slope more often than not but you know the, the green kind of angles from mm. high right to the left and really steeply from front to back at the same time so the green used to extend a little bit further out the front but there's so much elevation change there and so much tilt that i'm not sure it would ever be f feasible to put it back about messing with contours and i'm not sure we want to be doing that wow. another victim of quicker greens and as much for sure when they were stimping at like six you could get away with loads more contours because a lot of his work on greens were really contoured weren't they yeah yeah for sure but uh murtown the greens at murtown tend to feature more tilt than opposed to internal you yeah. know big bold internal contours that you might find find elsewhere so well i want to hang on more time for for way too long because we really want to dive into to your career as well but before we leave uh, the idea of talking about more time. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about my golf today, Tom. Honestly, it's not needed. <laughs> well, um, what's your about. favourite uh, holes out there and green sides? Favourite hole? Uh, I think the 18th is just a classic. Of, mm. I talked through that before. Just a classic long par four. Uses the slope really well. Uh, 15, not in its current state, but hopefully we'll put something back to the original. You know, it's like a boundary hole, sort of. Yeah, so it play it plays up the plays up the boundary medium long par four tilts ground tilts left to right boundary on the left and originally they used to just be a string of three bunkers diagonaling across the front of, of the green the, yeah. uh with one with one on the left so and a couple of wings of green in behind the two bunkers so you know such a simple and effective hole fairway must have been 80 yards wide and you know the closer you can play to the boundary hit the draw that holds up the Pulls up the slope, you got an open, yeah, open yeah. angle into the green. 16, I thought it was beautiful as well. That sort of gentle rise with the bunkers dotted around. And I don't know whether, you know, you read stuff, there's no shortage of hyperbole around McKenzie, but they talk about things like he was, he was in the army or whatever for, for a bit and he learned camouflage and his whole thing around deception. And I think this just sounds like people have maybe disappeared up their own backsides talking about it, but... There is an element of deception in some of the holes. The number of times we were playing to things and then you got there and it, it was very different to how it looked from a 180 yards further back. You got to bunkers that looked quite large that were all of a sudden like the one short right of the green on four. You're going to tell me this isn't an original bunker now, but it's like five foot long. You know, it's tiny. The whole thing's quite deceptive with, you know, the way the course is laid out. Is there any truth in that? Or Yeah, I mean, well, four, four bunker is original. We've put an original bunker back behind that green, and I think there was actually used to be more bunkers on the left of that hole, believe it or not. No, I mean, so, it looks big, though, doesn't it, from the tape? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, decep deceptive Why? I'm not sure his work, Mackenzie's work in the UK was, you know, nowhere near as deceptive as, visually deceptive as, you know, some of the work in America where the bunkers are a, a much larger scale and much more sprawling. He wasn't as much refined more now as it, when he was here as he was perhaps uh -huh. when he was doing Cypress Point, for instance. Yeah, well, again, that's, but that's partly a product of the soils. Mm. You know, at Cypress Point, when you've got the sandier soils, it's much easier to cut a bunker into... Yeah. into what like, I noticed here um, is there was a number of holes that had bunkers in front of the green that were like 40 yards in front of the green. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. you could hit over and run in if you want. Yeah. Um, but they don't, but when you look in them from down the fairway, it doesn't really, 
separate itself from from the green complex so it's quite hard to see that you can hit over that and run it in if yeah you want. for sure and a, and a lot of that's playing with the angle the playing angles and the strategy yeah. that he was trying to create you know you're thinking about when Mackenzie was laying this out back in the day when it's cliche to talk about hickory clubs in the running game uh but you know where people you know especially when the conditions get keen in the summer you know where you would just want to carry the bunkers you know they're they're much more interesting than a bunker sat tight to the green. Yeah. Tell us about you then, Clyde. So we've 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 kind of jumped straight into the detail. We need to take a step back. You're 34, and you're kind of got quite a high golfing IQ. I a, sense. A serious CV we, as During well. the game of snooker we just played, uh, you mentioned 700 courses. God knows what. Just take us back to the very beginning with golf. Younger brother? Did brothers play or what? Where, uh, how did you get into the game? Yeah, I had my, my, well, I was one of four, but my brother, who was 11 years older than me, was was kind of in casually into golf when he was into all sports, but casually into golf. Uh, so, you know, I was kind of wanting to do what Big Brother wanted to do. So uh, that was a little bit of it, but uh, kind of grew up on the edge of the Lake District, had a small, the house kind of had a small field alongside of it that used to go out. And when I got a little bit older, six seven used to go out and mow greens and stick bamboo canes in no way. and you know pitching nice. around pitching around the field making my own little layouts and you know we kind of we always used to holiday in the uk so from when i was about 10 years old we'd you know with all the family didn't want to come on holiday anymore it was kind of like yeah. our, our summer holiday would be based around where i'd go and play golf you know so on the on the british on the, on the, on the, the british on the british seaside yeah, so yeah got got uh, got exposed to seeing a decent amount of good golf courses that way and you know just yeah kind of always always wanted to always wanted to build and design golf courses just working out how to get into the business yeah. was, the, was the next stage so yeah, yeah I, always, I always talk about this moment in science class where i used to scribble you know these hideously penal golf courses on the back of the science <laughs> book that was like back to back 750 yard par fives. I still think, we, I think there's, there's there's a space for that somewhere. Hundred percent. Like I could have been an elite Ryder Cup course designer, <laughs> I think, for a bit of time. Um, but like you take it a step further and actually put it into practice. You grew up in Kendall, which is obviously Lake District. Yep. Am I dreaming that you've got uh, affinity with some of the stuff at Appleby we played there? Uh, yeah, like Appleby a lot. Windermere, used to, maybe. Yeah, you, funnily enough, those Kendall, Windermere, and Appleby would be the three Westland clubs that used to play each other every year in right, matches. Okay. So, played those two quite a lot, those three exactly. obviously a lot over the years. So, uh, and I think quite different, aren't they? So it kind of exposes you to a lot of different uh -huh. types of golf. I'm but yeah, but I think I think growing up around courses like relatively short golf courses like that that are really in touch with the nature's kind of. Uh, kind of reflects in my preferred taste for golf courses that are really at ease with their natural landscape and have a good sense of place and don't try to be not what they should be. I think I said yeah, that yeah, right. Try, but yeah, they, they, they embrace what's around them. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like if Appleby was trying to be a Marriott golf resort, it would do a really bad job at it. But uh -huh. Appleby does a great job of being Appleby. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, it kind of gives you a good, you know, as well as seeing a bunch of golf courses around the UK, it kind of gives you a kind of gives you a you know you feel like anything goes you think about the 15th hole at Appleby the infamous bell yeah, hole it's just like it's it's one of the craziest golf holes you could ever imagine could you ever get to a world now where we could build that hole in today's world like I'd, I don't think you could could we or? I don't see why not I don't see why not with the, with the right client and the, the right piece of land you just need to have a a bold client a bold client that's quite yeah. happy to tear the rule book up yeah but you know by it's an outstanding golf hole yeah exactly the you, yeah you know another part three which is similar is that 
Well, at Gosley, which I think again is 15 or 14 or 15. Mm. Yeah, yeah 15. that's a that's a cool little drop shot that kind yeah, of, yeah, the, yeah. the green sits behind a, like a fold or a big shoulder, but that shoulder in the front makes this, especially when it's windy and exposed playing from a high, a high tee makes the shot really interesting. Yeah, 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 but like a, it's such a receptive green and like I'd, kind of the same as Appleby is, as long as you get it somewhere around the green, you know you're going to be right close to the hole because that's the only place the ball can finish. So you've gone yeah. off and played then, what, 700 courses around the world, which is a truly obscene feat. Is that, was that part of the career path? Were you in the golf industry at that point or was this uh, just you and the thirst for knowledge or what? No, so if we wind back, so I, I studied structural engineering and architect, building architecture at, at Sheffield. Uh, kind of, I always thought it would be a pretty sensible fallback option, you know. I was kind of quite interested in football stadiums and yeah, football yeah, stadium design, but, again, skill sets but, transferable but you know, I realised that I'd never ever get to play on yeah. anything that yeah, <laughs> I'd <yeah>. worked at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty obviously my football's probably worse than my snooker which is pretty <laughs> average so uh, but uh, yeah so you know I kind of always I'd always wanted to golf course design golf courses was my passion so uh, wrote to Tom Doak sent him a little book self-published book that was pretty average but uh, showed passion yeah that I'd written on the golf courses that I'd seen that summer uh, but at the time I'd already committed to going to how old are you then? Oh, 21, 22. Right. So I'd already committed to going to the US to study landscape architecture. Uh, that wasn't really about what I was studying. It was just a good chance to go and spend some time in the US because I realised that that was where most golf courses were being built, uh, yeah. and that was kind of like the the dom the US is kind of like dominates golf culture. So uh, then the timings worked out there nicely. The summer, uh, the summer of the two-year program, I was I was studying. Uh, Tom needed a bunch of help on uh, Dismal River Golf Club that he was working in Nebraska. Okay. So I spent a summer interning for Tom. Uh, was that on the diggers? Was that on the? Machinery? No, that was that was a lot of that was a lot of six six a.m. seven a.m. till six p.m. days seven days a week hand raking 100, 100 degree Fahrenheit uh, days so but it was great fun because there was probably six or seven guys that are still in the business uh, similar age just loved golf and just being out there and excited to be on a, a golf course construction yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, project for the first time wow incredible and was that how was that interning for Tom was there a lot of going to get coffees or was he pretty good at keeping you no outside? no it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time spent on the business end of, of mm. construction but you know while while you're there raking away you're kind of putting the final finish on what uh, his senior associates had shaped and, you know, you're kind of getting to watch those and guys and see how they ro operate the, the heavier machinery, you know, and then with time, you've shown the, the passion and uh, like a, a good eye for the detail at least. You kind of get the chance to, to jump on the machines and, and learn oh, nice. and, and progress. But, you know, it's, ama it's amazing, you know, even though I'd seen a bunch of golf courses and I kind of, you kind of figure you've got a good idea of, of golf course design, it's amazing how quickly you realise you actually don't know anything until you've spent ask, that you know, time. Working with Tom, you know, he's in a very small few people who are utterly revered in today's world in the industry. What, why, why is that? You know, to someone who's had no exposure to Tom, though, what working with him is it? Is it just an incredible eye for detail? Is it? Does he look at things in a different way? Like, what is it working with him that? Uh, I think Tom. Tom's really good at giving the opportunity for everyone to have their input yeah on the design so if you're an intern there and you're edging a bunker for example you're kind of buzzing because you've got to you've got to do something you yeah, know yeah, you yeah. contribute but even though it's like a really it's like half a percent 
improvement to the golf course, but you buzzing. Uh, so, but you know, even with his, you know, a good, a good, a good idea can come from anywhere. You know, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's probably Tom's uh, experience with. Uh, starting out in the business with Pete Dye you know yeah. uh, you know accepting an idea from everywhere but then you know giving the giving the associates and giving the interns like the the right amount of creative freedom uh, you know which also motivates you as someone you know that's that's yeah, out there wanting to build. You feel like you've got some opinion that yeah, you, know, but, you can have an input on this, and it's but, not. But, but then, really. but then Tom's a great editor as well. So you yeah. know, as long as long as you don't take it too personally, and you're, and you're willing for your work to be improved, and Tom does always improve the work, then you know, I think that's part of the reason why the end product yeah. uh, turns out so well. Do Do you think that you have been shaped um, working with him, and now having going off and working in golf clubs? within on your own and you having people work with you do you feel like you've been shaped by him with how you deal with people that work with you yeah for, you yeah for sure and i think i think you need to mention the the senior associates as well as well have worked for tom uh brian schneider brian slonick eric iverson don yeah. place in the office too that uh you know that kind of run the jobs day to day you know that you know seriously that, talented people yeah that that are so willing to you know to to uh, let you make mistakes, which is really important when you're starting out and learning. You yeah. know, it it, it it's, it's it's it helps when we work a lot of the time working in sandy sites. You know, so it's easy. Th those guys are so quick and so yeah, good. That you, you kind of scrub it. it out yeah, it just like yeah. takes ten minutes for them to fix the mess that you spent like half a, <laughs> half a day create half a day creating. Uh, so I feel like I've just gone on a tangent from the from the no. question there, but no, 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 no. It's a, it, it's interesting and and. So then you've, as part of that then from being 21, is that then where you've kind of gone off and played all these golf courses? You've kind of gone and seen, you know, the world's greatest architecture all over the place, is that? Uh, no, I'd already, I must have already seen three or 400 golf courses at that point, probably. Yeah. Uh, mostly in the UK, but going to America gave me a good chance to see some of the great golf courses over there and some of the not so good golf courses over <laughs> there. Uh, you know, but then also the product of being able to work with Tom as I started out, you know, once I, once I graduated from... Well, I once finished up in Georgia, I went straight out to Tariti for 19 months. So, you know, that, that gave a good chance to see some golf courses around New Zealand and also to spend quite a bit of time in the sandbelt in Australia as I flew in and out. And, you know, so. What's been the biggest area for you where it's been like that's a watershed moment for me? Was uh, it sandbelt? Was it California? Was it seeing you near know, the links as a kid? What, what's been the big sort of watershed one? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could. I think it's probably an accumulation of knowledge and experience. Uh, you know, one thing I do try and do when I go and see new golf courses, I'll often go, I'll often go to golf courses that people wouldn't even sniff at, yeah. but there might be, you know, maybe a 10 quid middle of nowhere golf course, but you might find one really cool hole that you would never find anywhere. But it's like, just like, okay, it works there. I can build, you know, there might be a chance for me to build this, build this one day. Uh, you know, when I came back from working at Tari, even my parents had retired to St. Andrews. Okay. None of them played golf, interesting enough. They just kind of liked uh, like, the town, like the town. So, you know, hanging, hanging out there for five, six years until I got married last year was, was really beneficial for just spending a bunch of time around the old course, getting a, a really good understanding of the scale of the features. Do you subscribe to the old course being the most architecturally interesting course there is or are you 100 percent? yeah yeah for sure come on expand on it what 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 is it you think that 
think just the, the variety the variety is un, is unrivaled uh i mean and it's the constant you know you know we kind of it's people tend to perhaps with the advent of golf course architecture becoming more interesting or it's becoming a bit bit higher profile in social media circles but you know people tend to think of architecture through templates or like what i call sketchbook architecture mm-hmm. it's like an a b there's an a route and there's a b route maybe there's a c route you know with with uh you know one one preferred strategy less a preferred strategy but you know the old the old you can course, see that the, the, the old the, sketches but, can you but yeah but the old course is just like you couldn't it's, 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 it's grey it's like yeah. it's, it's a complete it's a complete sliding scale you know there's millions of different I, f- I think Tom, I think Tom's written about it but like one yard of position makes a difference the variety to the you know I think I think part you know everyone says that no one understands the old course the first time they play it that's partially true because the sight lines on the way out aren't great you yeah. kind of you kind of fumbling where you you way around a little bit but and you know but, got better views, but, then, yeah. but then a lot of the time a lot of the times the pin positions are kind of really central mm. what i call the, the tourist pins mm. but as soon as you start tucking the pins away it's amazing the angles that come into play peter dawson told us didn't he i think he said we can always make the, i think we can make the course four shots harder with the pins immediately oh for sure for some, the, some, some, of the, some of the places that you know and, and perhaps some of the pros say there are the golf course is tricked up you know maybe maybe when they start sticking the pin on this down slope from the on the far left side of the second green it's maybe getting a little too severe yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know but but all there's so many interesting hole locations around the edge of the big greens and then the interior really friendly it's going to have part one that part of the genius of it you know you can, you can get the you can get the average 18 24 handicap guy that's come for the bucket list trip of a lifetime round but then you know when the best players in the world just, I mean obviously today they still shoot really low numbers but yeah. you're still making the player that's you know fought the way around is mm. going to be rewarded yeah yeah, yeah they're engaged <coughs> I think too on the old I don't, I don't want to I you guys down, no, yeah. you guys absolutely lambasted me when I put that in my eclectic 18 do I put the second oh, in my because you know there's you know that's the only system, because right? you, you ignored yeah. board, like, you that's never, only because you ignored one and 18 yeah but I picked two because I think Two is an outstandingly good golf hole, and I think you're just a bit amped up on one, so you can't really quite get into it. It's all it's all just going on around you. Whereas two you've, is the first time you feel present on the old course, and I think two is a magnificent golf hole. Yeah, two. I, I preferred it. I preferred it with all the two bunkers. Were there on the front right of the green? I think they're a little superb, superfluous and do away from the genius of the strategy of having like the open running the flat ground. Uh, but yeah, two two's a great. Two's a great hole. Four, four's another great candidate. Yeah, uh, it's got the best back nine in the world. Uh, I really like seven. I mean, I struggle off the back two. Seven's set. a ridiculously hard golf hole. We for watched seemingly we, no reason. We watched uh, Bryson in the open on off that back tee, uh-huh. just hit the green and, and stop it with like yeah, he pitched into the up bank, didn't he? I mean, it's it a clear like, three yeah. thirty or whatever carried, but it's not a long hole seven, and it's infinitely tricky. Yeah, like it's yeah. really. Like I, the, the angle, the angles, loads, and the, but I still don't know how to play. The it. angles and the pin positions really make a difference there. There's like the the far, the far right wing. Uh, not talking politics, but on the uh, on the, I guess it depends what angle you play it. But traditionally, the far right, it's kind of like the front right. There's yeah. like a there's like a, sh- a tiny little shelf that st- sticks behind a couple of bunkers, then a roll, then there's a roll behind it. You know, to get access to that, you're thinking about thinking about driving 
over towards the tenth green, so you've kind of got yeah, that little roll as the as the back. But so then when the but when the greens the other side they're rolling, you want to go as far left as possible so you can really let one release down the green. It's just like it's amazing that five yards of difference in the whole location can make a hundred yards of difference to your playing line. Yeah. And um, Tom asked you earlier when we were playing snooker. There's a lot of reference back to this game of snooker. It was a tense game of snooker. You two, you two started off quite jovial and then you were just staring at each other. I got dialed in. Just constantly get dialed in. You asked whether you were a shaper or an architect. So you work overseas and help out with Renaissance and Tom and the work that those guys are doing. In the UK, you practice almost pretty much solo, right? But you're a shaper. You're, you're an architect first and foremost, but you just do more shaping. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, so, know. well... I don't know yeah. how best to put it. Yeah, so I guess I guess I'll do all or most of the things that a traditional architect would do, uh, but also do the shaping as well. So I'll jump Are on the machine. Are you a control and, freak? Is that what it is? No, no, I, fi- no I think that's that's one the that's one of the great lessons that you learn working for Tom. You know, the quicker you can learn to let things go and to let someone else. I mean, you've obviously got to have a good eye to eye to detail, and the details are important. But you know, yeah. the kind of the quicker you can you can learn to let things go and realize you can't do things on your own. It's okay. like a, it's a big lesson to be learned. Really? Uh, so yeah, so when I'm doing my own consulting work, I'm, you know, I'm still writing the consulting reports. I'm still dealing with clients, doing the drawings, uh, help assisting with budgets when needed, working with contractors when we're doing something like we're doing at Denim at the moment and installing the blinder bunker line and we're, you know, doing quite an intensive uh, batch of work. So, uh, I suppose a lot of clubs are short on their skill sets as well, aren't they? Particularly in the UK, where there might be the budget where they need someone to almost coach a little bit with the shaping uh-huh. because they wouldn't be able to bring in full construction team to do full full amounts of work. Because you know the budgets we're dealing with in the UK club is you know is, is a is a fraction of what many of the US country clubs would be operating to. So you cannot. You know, yeah, for the sure. model's totally different, right? Does that impact the way that you pitch for work and, and the types of jobs that you get involved in and the nature of your involvement? Yeah, perhaps so. I mean, most of the places I work at in the UK often work with the, the greenkeeping teams just because they're they're so used to doing project work. Uh, they've got a pretty good skill set. The team at Moortown are really, you know, they've done a bunch of construction over the last 10, 15 years. Same with the team at Alwoldley as well and, you know, other places I work. So, you know, me coming in and making sure, you know, pre- previously, you know, with the traditional architect, they'd do some work, wait for the architect to come in. They might have to make some tweaks, but, you know, when you're working in the heavy soils here and it really turns to mush really quickly, yeah. they're kind of glad to, to have me on site, you know, shaping and then approving the work so they can they can get to it and get it buttoned up before the weather you know makes a mess of it you know working on links link sites a little bit different so they'll leave it regard. exposed and they'll leave the earth out and you'll look at it and what are you looking for then so like i don't know is there like an example that helps bring it to life because i think the the player doesn't necessarily like the most players and i put myself in this category you look at a golf hole and you're like it's a great golf hole it's an indifferent golf hole it's a bad golf hole but there's so many little details that the golfer looks past and they don't realize how important they are. And that's the little subtleties and whether it's the way the holes are tied in together or the, the shaping and the way the mounding is there. Like, what are you looking for when you see great shaping versus bad shaping? What's the kind of defining? Uh, I guess I'll try next, you know, when, when I'm shaping or when, when people are shaping, you know, you're kind of thinking about a whole, but it's kind of, it's free, it's three dimensional 
problem solving basically which is why you know so if you, you communicate your idea via a two-dimensional drawing which is great you kind of give the you're giving the client an idea of of what they're getting but you know the reality is when you're d- dealing with three dimensions you know it's nice to have that that freedom to you know improve improve what you've got on the drawing at 80 percent to yeah. hopefully 95 100 percent. so you know you're kind of thinking you're thinking what it's going to look like obviously thinking about you want to think about how it's going to play uh you think about how it's going to tie into the surrounding uh landforms and to the and to the existing work at a golf at the golf course you know because you know you, we don't want it to look like i've come in you know i don't want to leave my mark i want to make it look like no one's done any work there really uh you know you're thinking about you're thinking about you know how water surface draining you know away from a feature or into it and across a feature uh, and then you know a place like this you've got different soils across the site so you think that you know soil soil management here is really really difficult uh, going back to Moortown so you know we kind of yeah, you don't want to build it where you could end up with potential drainage issues or where you wouldn't be able to generate heather on the bunker face or something yeah so like that. An, an example of what we've done this week so the third green uh, had a bunker left bunker right the aerial, the historical aerial show, showed a bunker to the left. Uh, we we're pretty certain that there was a mound, classic, like a classic Mackenzie mound that you kind of find on the sixth hole at Pasatiempo, 17th hole at Titarangi, or even you find them at Augusta National on the eight, left of the eighth hole there, but on a much, on a much bigger, <laughs> on a, just reels them off three. On a much, boom, boom, boom. on a much bigger scale. Uh, what on the but, back right of the green is that the? Yes, yeah, so they've got they've got a seri- they've got a series down there. Yeah. Anyway, I'm kind of digressing a no, little no, bit no, here. It, it was kind of nice. We were kind of just guessing that's what the whole used to be like from the aerial. But an old secretary actually told us this week after I'd done the shaping work that there actually used to be a mound down there. Uh, it's a really clever feature. It's more, much more interesting than a bunker because you, if you've the, the ground tilts right to left, so if you've held the right if you held the right side, the mound isn't going to be in your way. You've got an open line to the green. If you've gone to the left, you can use that mound to kind of try and feed a little one back in. But if you hit that short weak shot. The mound, it's like four, sorry, four, four to five feet above the level of the green. Yeah, you can't. An it, it's a, it's a tricky up and over. Anyway, so back to your point, because uh, we're working on the bog there. You know, I was trying to, what you call like skim, skim up material. So taking two or three inches from what was there in the strip area. You know, as soon as you break through that and you hit the peat, you're in trouble because the peat just turns to to a mess. Yeah. So you know, then we had to go and then we had to go and dismantle an old tee to generate some material, and you know, had to finish the rest in some bought-in root zone. You know, just to just to fill in a bunker and, and generate a fourth, four to five feet Jesus. high mound. So, that, you, so there's you know, loads more to think about. Yeah, so you're you're always material management when you're shaping on the new build as well. It's really important. So you know, yeah. you think <clears throat> with the shaping, um, you've almost got the power of god in your hands if you wanted to you could level this and shape it to whatever you you want to see it with is it really difficult to know when to stop <laughs> i'm not sure i'd be in a, i'm not sure i'd be in a job for too long if i leveled things but uh <laughs> but uh, uh no uh yes and no uh it's really important to know when to stop uh but i think i think it just comes with experience and just you know, it's partly experience of seeing a lot of golf courses. It's also partly experience of spending a good amount of time on, on construction sites. You kind of, mm. you kind of know, you know when the right time to jump off is. Yeah. Mm. So, 
but yeah, that is that is definitely that is different definitely a skill. It's a skill in consulting work and it's a skill on new build work is to say you can get scope creep, can you? You can start to just all of a sudden it can just get you can do overdo it, you can do too much and you I guess easy you could Well there are some courses uh, there are some new builds specifically that have been built into Juneland or, or whatever that you you're just very aware that it this is this has been pushed around, you know, uh-huh. and, and you're very aware you're in an artificial environment. But then there are some courses like today where you kind of like, oh, they might have pushed that mound there, but that might mound might have always been there, and it's all very sort of feels like it's natural. And and part and part of that also comes from knowing where to make the moves. So if you're gonna make if you're gonna make a an, a big move, like you know, working with Tom, you and some of the great sites he gets and he's, such, he's so good at, at routing routing uh, oh, <laughs> that's the American yeah. you're going to help him out in the edit then you've got depending on if you're working in Australia and New Zealand you've got to be careful saying routing so routing it is but uh, rescued it yeah routing <laughs> it is but uh you know, you you not you just you know a lot of projects you're not making that many big moves, but you know there's a there's a skill to deciding where how to balance material. Mm-hmm. You know, but in, in cons- there is in consulting work as well. It's just on a much more detailed sc- scale, and partly that's because you don't want to disturb too much turf because you know the greenkeepers have got to put that back, or the contractors got to put that back, and then you know the project becomes more expensive. So, I suppose just building on that, how important is restraint? For, for what particularly now with the amount of power you've got at your disposal yeah restraint's important i think you've uh especially working in the uk and ireland you know where budgets are a little bit uh tighter and you know it's also it's not just the construction budget it's it's maintenance afterwards but you definitely have to be fairly pragmatic with your decisions mm. you know so would it be great to restore every single mckenzie feature out here yeah but would, it would, I, would i do it would expensive. i do it would i do it if i was given the chance yes but is it sensible to do it probably not so there's not you touched on it earlier on if you want to go to do any sort of new build now you you pretty much need to go outside of the uk a lot of the land in the uk now you've got little to no chance of building new courses on certainly the links land um we've got little to no chance you've happened you've obviously been across to ireland recently and been involved with um the new course at st patrick's uh, how was that experience? How was that working on that that new uh, bit, which is a quite a rarity for for us? And it's yeah, fun. it's funny. It's funny. You kind of have spent nineteen months at Tarry in New Zealand. Thought, wow, yeah, it's just project of a lifetime. And then really, St Patrick's was probably the project of a lifetime for someone. That top Tarry did it. Yeah, well, I think mate, perhaps because perhaps because of where I'm from, you know, being from the, the UK, it's just like to build what was a relatively authentic. Links golf course construction mm. so you know we were only shaping the greens there really and then selectively shaping fairways where we needed to and then building tees obviously uh probably my favorite part of that job was uh i got to sit on a mower at the start of uh the project and you know st patrick's used some of the old there used to be 36 holes on that property so we used some of the fairways but then some of tom's holes kind of angled across some some fairways and used some the odd little pocket of newer land. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, getting to getting to sit on, on the mower there and just watching the holes kind of come to life in front of me was yeah, yeah. it was was a great experience, you know, it was some pretty some pretty steep pretty steep places for anyone that's been uh, the eighteenth that's kind of that was the only real hole that saw some significant shaping work was 
had a massive bowl down to the right that was unmobile and the, the 11th hole which is actually the, the second most interior hole on the property had the severest internal contour right, interestingly right. which was almost unmobile on a so you on have a to flame soften that down then really yeah just just select just selectively so yeah. uh but yeah no gonna be you know you say there's not gonna be any new build work in the uk uh tom doke's gonna be building yeah, castle stewart starting yeah. from we hope to start in april so i was up there you're gonna be involved in that as well yeah i'll be running that job for tom so i was there there a couple of weeks ago with tom yeah getting the routing routing yeah, uh sorted so that'd be a good project i mean so we we must have a couple of years back they had like a model that was up in the up in the top of the 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 clubhouse there where they kind of were like yeah we kind of want to do this over time we're not sure what's going to be they've obviously got that wonderful little par three thing they've got the nine hole area which is just just fantastic it's cool, isn't it yeah, yeah you like that the, the little all closely mown little short course they've got through the dunes or yeah, no, it's a, it'd be a good asset. Be a good asset for for Castle Stewart uh, and the new course as well. So uh, the it's old, be all the old plans—they've been basically scrapped on legs, and that's yeah. So focus on sort of out beyond the the third green, almost, isn't it? As I understand, it, to see yeah. That. So the so the golf course will start. It'll probably play and finish down the driving range. Yeah, uh, and then it will head towards. Kind of the maintenance shed will get moved. Uh, I think the. I think I can talk about this, but the plan is for the maintenance shed to move into the kind of, kind of like a farm that you pass on the road mm-hmm. to Castle Stewart. Uh, it's part of the estate, and then you kind of play down by, play down by the castle, uh, play out to the coastline around like a triple SI marsh wetland uh, area. Uh, we need look, a golf guy in the triple SI community. We need yeah. to get a man yeah. inside. It, it, just, it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect the golf course too much there, in all honesty, because you know it's it's outside of, it, it's in the it's in the marshland. So, uh, you know, the, the golf course is going to going to track down the coast a little bit and then play back, play back over, over the corner of the marsh and then up through, past the castle into the to the clubhouse. So, how will that interact with the not on a practical level, but when you look at Obviously, Mark and Gill's design that's there at Castle Stewart, you know, revered as a you know one of the great new builds of the 21st century. How much is it about? I suppose this is back to how much do you want to put your own fingerprint on it, and how much do you want to try and make it harmonious to what's there? Because sometimes, if you're working on stuff that's there 120 years ago, it's easier to try and sort of look at that through rose-tinted specs. Whereas I suspect, given that they're both quite modern courses. Is there more of a temptation to try and deviate from what was there originally, what what the first course looks like, so that it has a distinct personality, or do you, are you kind of then wedded to the design principles that Gill and Mark had? I don't really know. I don't really know, to be fair. Yeah, uh, it's, it's one of the things that we've been Tom talked about a lot. Really, uh, is how we make the golf course feel and look, and you know, we're still talking about how we might bunker it. Uh, the style of bunkering but really fundamentally we just want the golf course to feel like it belongs to in scotland yeah so whether we borrow a few ideas from uh how the existing course at castle stewart looks visually uh we'll see but you know they did they did a really good job of of introducing some native textures the heather and the fescues there really lean and play really well so uh you know it'd be nice to do a similar job uh with the landscape uh 
you know, outside the playing corridors, uh, you know, but I think one thing that one thing that sets Tom's work apart from maybe any other architect is, you know, how how he str- how he strives to be different, not necessarily for the sake of being different, but you know, mm. there's there's not there's, it'd be really lazy to pigeonhole Tom's work, you know, he's, he's you know, and I, and I think he try he tries really hard to make sure one golf course is different from the next, and I know that's something that I really value as well. So, so when you're looking at uh, breaking ground, up, uh, uh, the plan is April. So there's we can't work from October to yeah, April because of yeah, because of uh, I think it's winter shoring birds. So okay. the f- I think as the, the first thing we need to do uh, as a precondition start is to actually build a bund along the length of the. Where the, where the golf course tracks along the water uh, down by the bottom which kind of hi- visually hides the birds that are nesting from any equipment or golfers so uh, yeah that'll be that'll be the first thing we do and then irrigate irrigation water sources obviously uh, we should be fine we just need to get the make sure the irrigation infrastructure is in place because without irrigation there's no new golf course mm. and as a new father I'm guessing it's quite nice to have a project in your home country for a change <laughs> rather than being. Yeah. Does that yeah. put, is that must be quite tough because there's a huge commitment on travelling isn't there with what you do do yeah. you find that quite hard I mean it should say it's Thursday three o'clock you're probably going to head back up to Glasgow after this and a bit of family time too but how have you found that yeah, well, I'm hoping to get to Presswick for to play the to, 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 to at least to at least walk around the the twelve old holes there tomorrow, uh, which is one of the incentives for getting the getting anyway. the work done work done here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of nice because we we're we're in apart from the one month in quarantine, we're at, uh, when I was at Tiari in New Zealand for eight months this year. It was nice to actually feel like I had a normal. 7.30 till 5.30 30 job being home yeah. uh, home every every night and uh, yeah even having most of the weekends off which is nice but uh, yeah that's probably you know that is that is probably the hardest part of the job it, you know it's great that you get to travel and see the world and I would never dismiss working anywhere I don't think there's anywhere where I'd dismiss working uh, but you know being close to home uh, is nice, really nice yeah, it's really nice little ones and yeah, you know, family and stuff like that. When you're on your travels, um, <clears throat> do you find it easy to to pigeon to just squeeze in some golf, or do you or do you sometimes find it a bit awkward? A bit awkward? Well, we find sometimes that when when we work, we travel. Sometimes we'll like, try and bite off our. Yeah, really, really yeah, it was it was golf. it was much easier when I was single. That was that was for sure. But yeah, yeah, always always thinking about if I'm going anywhere. Always thinking about seeing. Do the sticks go everywhere with you? Say again, sorry. Do the golf clubs go everywhere with you? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, depend- Yeah, they're in the car at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, even even if it's just stop, even if it's just stopping for a walk and taking a walk around somewhere. Yeah, you know that's re- that's really valuable, and it's 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 really easy to do over here. It's when you when you're in the US, it's a little harder just to Where pop going to a place. You really want to uh, in the UK anywhere. Uh, I mean, seven hundred courses. Not many left, is there? No, I'm guessing you kind of, you know, the, the thing is, we can get through that sort of number of courses. You're not. This isn't a case of just looking to play the most ranked or the in the best courses. Like you say, it's trying to find the, the the real diamond in the. I actually rock. think it's really yeah. interesting because we were dro- we were diverted off the motorway um, 
on the way here because there was a crash on the M1. Midgley Park. And we, yeah, we, we went past sort of a Midgley Park nine-holer and we both looked at it and was like, yeah, I, I could go there now. Because I was like, yeah, I actually would really like to just I stop nothing there. nothing about play, it. Just purely because I bet you, you'd look at it and you'd learn something new. You know what I mean? It's like, I, you know, I, I could never bore of playing courses. I'd never bore of playing golf. And there's no but rubbish for, golf either, really. It, no, no, exactly. And even if you play stuff that's, that's really, really bad, it also helps you appreciate the stuff that's really, really good, you know? Yeah, I've, I've, I've pulled into a lot of golf club car parks over the years. The, Have you? The, just randomly? Just yeah, I'll always, pu- always pull in and take a nosy. Uh, so I guess the two, the two favourite golf courses that I've seen over the, the last few years, at home anyway, have been Iona and Walsey on the Isle of Shetland. Yeah, Rowan wow. Rafferty was going on about Walsey. Yeah, Walsey is... We should it. make it really clear that's not Wallasey in the northwest. This is Wolsey, which is way out. W- w- W-H-A-L-S-A-Y. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's a flight or a ferry, and then it's another ferry from there. Uh, yeah. But those, those two places were amazing. Uh, Can you go amazing. on the record here? Is it is this somewhere that you would do... That, that sounds like a lot. You know, a flight or a ferry and a ferry. Is Would you do that just for that golf? Yeah, yeah, but you're probably asking the wrong person because I do, do, do that for most places. So uh, I, guess, I guess on that front, I'd quite like to go to Collinso. I've done most, I've basically seen, I've seen all the other golf courses on the islands and yeah. the Outer Hebrides, but I haven't been to Collinso. Uh, I'd quite like to, I'd quite, oh, I've never actually, I've never been to Minchin Hampton actually. Oh, that's that? probably, that yeah, that's, that's probably the, the top, that's at the top of the list. Uh, I'd quite like to go and spend a bit more time on the on the Welsh coast so uh, the golf course on Hollyhead is it Bulls Bay uh, looks, yeah, Bull looks, Bay Bull Bay looks Hell pretty in, looks pretty interesting I've Cardigan looks pretty interesting Neffin up there I've never been there but yeah, I've well, heard that's not the most interesting of golf courses but the most spectacular of views <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to go back when I played it I was consigned to the new yeah, I golf course. Play I, that little yeah, line. so I didn't get to go on to the old, the old stuff, which is a little crazy. So I would yeah. like to go back there one day. What parts of the world outside the UK? You know, there's because there's golf everywhere. But when we talk about it, particularly in this podcast, for whatever reason, it's US, it's GB and I, it's Sandbelt. Uh-huh. Have, have, have you done? Have you done No, I'd like. To, I'd really like to go there. I'd really like to go there. Uh, I'd love to go to Japan and play golf there. Yeah. Uh, Colton, Allison stuff. Yeah, all Allison, isn't it? Really? Is yeah, that- yeah. Allison was there. I spent. I spent some. I played golf in South Korea, and really, it's like it's like the anaesthesis of the golf culture in the UK and Ireland. But the golf culture in South Korea was I found really interesting. So I'd like to go to Japan for you know mm. just seeing something completely different again. Yeah, but they were uh, playing what six holes in the speed that you and I played sixteen today. Well, it's when in South Korea and here it was like. Three or four hole, three or four holes. Stop at the tea house. Yeah. Get get to the clubhouse after nine. Have your lunch. Three or four holes. Never half, never ha- never quarter of a way house for your tea. <laughs> and then it's like it's a full day experience. That sounds then amazing. It, then it's a, a naked spa afterwards. Someone told me the once that <laughs> that's amazing. So someone told me I, 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 I can't remember who told me that South Korea is the third largest golf market in the world I can imagine like that. that I can imagine that a lot of the a lot of the big a lot of the Huge big clubs driving range industry a lot of the big Huge. clubs are owned by corporate businesses yeah. 
you know, they've got massive, cl- massive clubhouses. But it's tiny. This might not end up in the pod, but I seem to remember reading somewhere that North Korea's got a golf course. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Has, has yeah. the record. It's like 18. That's his yeah. record. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a legit course at Pyongyang or whatever. Yeah, that's there? right. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'd love to go to, I'd love to go to Banff Springs and Highland Links okay. in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Cows play Bounce Springs, don't they? Enjoyed that. I've Stunning. never, I've never been to Oakmont in America. Had really interested okay. by by That's that kind place. Of ground zero, really, for a lot of architecture it, stuff in the US, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But it's the kind of place where you see, you see, you don't see that many photographs of it. I don't think it's a golf course that really shows itself in photographs. Mm. So I'd really like to go and see what what it that's needs to like be on the ground. Yeah, Did, do you think it's there's pre- too much? You know, I know. That I always we've said this on the pod, and I've said it a load of times. I'll say it again for good measure. But North Berwick as an experience was great, but it was nowhere near the experience that my dad would have had North Berwick because he went in the early 90s and there would have been no social media and he wouldn't have known what to expect other than it's 40 pounds and he played North Berwick. And then I played North Berwick and I've seen a million pictures of Pitt, Redan, Beeritz, Greens, etc., etc. And you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. And I know we're the worst for it because we're well, waving drones yeah, and cameras us, around. I think it makes us hip. We talked about actually talked about it in the car. Yeah, but on the I, way up, you but know, I know that, and I, I, I get that. But I'm curious for your view, Clyde. Like, is are we in a better world if we kind of peel if we'd like strip back some of the I, I, photography I, and sharing too much of courses? Yeah, I, I love the I love the surprise. One of the one of the appeals of going to see a new golf course to me is the is the journey or the experience to get there yeah. or just like this sense of excitement so I, I kind of keep a journal I started doing it about maybe eight years ago of every golf course that I visited or played and you know my 100 200 words on each golf course that I've seen the first two or three lines would be you yeah, know would, would all be about not not like not like oh it's got a nice car park or there's a nice it's kind of like the sense of excitement or yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. landmarks that you might have passed on the way to getting somewhere yeah, that yeah. kind of relate to the but that maybe like, maybe again that's partly related to the type of golf course that I like to go and see that might be somewhere a little bit more because it is feeling it is more yeah there is a more ethereal thing than just being like these are the 18 golf holes in front of you and I don't I don't think we do I'm getting defensive now but I don't think we do just try and just just the the reason he's getting defensive just the conversation we had in the car is we're almost hypocrites because we we were saying like some of these places you go to are so wonderful that you don't know a huge amount about it and you go there and you kind of want to spread the word because it's so great that you've seen this place and you're like everyone needs to see this place but in doing so you might be ruining that place because the great thing about it was I wasn't expecting it and I went there and it was really cool and it's really hard for like it was a conversation we were having it's really tough because we just want everyone to have that experience, but that might ruin the well, experience. Tom doesn't yeah, want to will. take photos oh, of the best course on the whole on the course. Does I, was, he? I was just say, Tom, Tom Doak's been he's really conscious of that. Uh, you know, at St. Patrick's, you know, really conscious of not really having any fo- photography out there, uh, especially early on, because you know you kind of want to save the big reveals for yeah, for, for when you, for when you get there. Uh, you know, it, perhaps it's a little bit different for Tom because he's at the point in his career where everyone knows who he is, everyone knows his work. You know, versus someone that's younger that's starting out, probably do want to get a little bit more uh, profile out there. But yeah, you know, there's definitely. I think you know, if, you, if you've already read about, if you've already read about it and you've seen the photographs before you before you go, you've, you're largely only setting yourself up for disappointment. Mm. Yeah, I try so, now not to do as little research on somewhere as I can before I go, and then. 
that's Even just the way like that golf club atlas and stuff like that before you go somewhere afterwards it's like afterwards it's fun i love like it's better to try and formulate your own view of that before you end up yeah like, i like, love there's so much of this stuff of i think one of the conversations you and i had in the three hour long rain soaked car journey was you know where have you been with my, you know, on our travels through Cookie Jar, where's been the most impressive and where's been the least, you know, maybe the more underwhelming. And invariably, it's not like the best or the worst course. It's always versus expectation. And expectation is so key. And that's why the places like Wolsey or whatever are so good or Iona or, you know, Church Stratton or something. Because you're going in with almost no expectation. You're like, this is 20 or 30 quid. So then when you find a load of stuff that's really good, you're like, okay, this is, this is delivered in spades. Whereas when you turn up and expect 11 out of 10 you're only going to fall short of that yeah i do i do yeah i, I agree i agree with that i mean i'm kind of i kind of envious of the I'm envious of tom dote when he got to travel around all the golf courses in great britain ireland when he was much younger you know when he just had the aa guy just to guide him around and then you know also also the place you know the kind of the kind of the places hadn't been over polished the kind of just classic good golf you know, and the sense of adventure must have been discovery, must have been up a, up a couple of notches, which and is... And then you wind it back even further and you think, you know, what, you know, in I know, Darwin's day, the discovery of going out to these places and seeing them and... Someone like, Wel- like Welshpool, which you mentioned yeah. about, and, you know, and he was on his way to Aberdeen, you know. This is That's got, a great Welshpool place. Welshpool looks good. into Welshpool. Say again, sorry. Welshpool looks good. Yeah, that? Welshpool's really cool. I like yeah. Welshpool a lot. I r- always recommend that to people. Well, on the sort of hillside, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of great holes there. Really good. Um, on a similar vein, if I could give you a time machine with a round trip to one particular golf course to either walk it or play it at a certain year, where are you going and when? Mm. <coughs> probably, could, probably, could have, probably could have done with some preparation for this one. I could have been sat. I could have been. I could have been sat. I could have been sat thinking about that on the machine this week. It's probably either. It's probably either somewhere like the old course, which is really cliched really really cliche just to see see what it's like you know i kind of always imagined that the eden green you know back before they retained the coastline there if you'd gone along i'd never seen any photographs i've never seen it written about but i always kind of imagined that must have just trundled down to the beach or to the estuary mm. at one point yeah uh which is really That's cli- 11th yeah 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 uh then it's probably you're probably thinking about a golf course that has changed a lot or have been has been lost we come back to that at the end of the pod. Well, you look at projects like the, the Lido, you know. Whenever. Yeah, that's that's that's. I'm, I'm not I'm not really sure there's anywhere over here that's been lost for good. That's been a big loss. I mean, there's got to be plenty of golf. I mean, golf. I mean, there's so many golf clubs that you go to that today they've been playing on this in the site for a hundred years, but it might have been their third site in the history of the golf club. Mm. I do think some clubs are are definitely the product. Obviously, not stating the bloody obvious here, but are the products of their own history. And therefore, you know, you look at, you know, two of the best inland courses in the UK, Sunningdale. I was just going to say, but they are a product of being in in a in a perfect position at a perfect point in time, with a perfect history that's given them all the chances of succeeding. And then you look at, well, you know, I don't know, um, 
you know, Appleby might be a bit of a, a daft one, but maybe by comparison, like a Hunter Coon, which maybe is not quite as revered, but it still has the very similar bones and everything, or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, well Hunter, Hunter Coon was pretty pretty out there for its time. Yeah. Really, out, really out there. I mean, it's still out there today. But, but it sure. broke. It was Willie Park, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Willie Park really Jr. Broken, didn't it, yeah, he, he, was, he was involved with the development there yeah. and, f- and the funding. But the, the, Heathland, the Heathland golf courses back when they first opened would have been really, really interesting to go and see and yeah. play. Uh, you know, you look at the scale and variety of the bunkering at somewhere like Sunningdale, uh, even St. George's Hill, yeah. you know. This is wild, the, isn't it, St. George's yeah, Hill? So. I think an interesting one would have been, and again, it's probably cliched, but like, if you think about somewhere like Augusta National, where you see it so much on TV now, but it's been so modified for the modern professional. I wonder whether if I'd have gone back to 1935 and seen that, and would I have thought, yeah, this is going to be, this is the most like amazingly undulating bit of land and this is a magnificent property. Because I, I dare say, I doubt it looks much like how it looks today. Yeah, yes and no. Yes and no. I suspect, I suspect unless you really knew what you were looking at, it, you, it probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't have seen the genius or the great, or, you know, the 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 quality of the design so much versus versus today but maybe that's again it's a product of being educated and mm. now you work in the uk you do a lot of uh, renovations around here and, and all over the world are there any architects courses that you work on and think yeah this this is just genius design any particular architects to spring out uh, I always think I don't work on any at or on any Tom Simpson design golf courses, uh, but I always kind of think he was almost like the misunderstood generation of, or the misunderstood genius, even sorry, uh, of the golden age. He probably came along just a little bit after the others. Uh, uh, and he's, yeah, and he's, and, and yeah, stuff, like, yeah, there's some great, just unbelievable some, work, some, isn't it? Don't use the word lightly, but some exquisite green shaping at Beltray. Yeah. Uh, you know, and some of the work on the continent as well, where he probably got a little bit more freedom to more do, the, do the work. Yeah, do the work that he wanted to do. Morfontaine's a good one, uh, but he was almost even even like his bunkering scheme for the first at, at Muirfield. Mm. You know, he was he was almost he was almost too clever for yeah, yeah. for the for the average for the average golfer at the time. So, yeah, Simps- Simpson, big fan of Simpson and his genius. I mean, I. T- I- you know, always all roads lead to Blackwell. Generally, <laughs> they do. But it is the middle of the country for and a it's reason. It's the best reference point for my own golf, which which for anyone listening to this podcast means it's a pretty moot point. But you know, you look at that, and I, I genuinely think anyone today would not have rooted about a golf course through Blackwell. It's such a small. It's under a hundred acres, and nothing feels contrived. There's nothing. You don't have to play silly crossover, awkward par threes to get through a difficult bit of land there. And you think that must have been at the time just absolute genius how he how he rooted that because it's he's totally boxed in on 100 acres there. You know, like he's got no no nowhere to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some really good. You know, the early architects were certainly really good at using quirks. Isn't the the quite quite the right word, but the the problem the problems thrown up from some quite awkward sites or features you know yeah. they, they tended to embrace them and use them as hazards rather rather than, than steer away from them like you might expect uh today's architects to do but going back to your question you know one of the one of the hardest things about consulting in the uk at golf courses is you know 
to tidy in some of my other answers, but golf courses evolved a lot over the first 30, 40 years of their lives, especially inland golf courses. Well, links courses too, even more perhaps. But uh, you know, if you kind of if you kind of looking at things from a restore, you know, if you kind of if you kind of respecting the past, not for the sake of respecting the past, but because the architecture was probably more interesting. Mm. Uh, you know, it's kind of like what what era, what what era, what age of the golf course do you, do you think about going back to? You know, that's one thing I'm finding at Denham at the moment. There's a great cult plan, but then there's a whole bunch of bunkers added after in the 10 20 years after that you know it's just like what do we go for do we you know do we decide what we think is most interesting for today or do we be purists and look to put yeah, back what was what was once there it's so a difficult conversation then isn't it because people don't want to see the course soften down or they don't want to you know people just get wedded to these things and i think you know there's this you know rightly or wrongly though there is there is definitely a space for a benevolent dictator in golf like it's when you're going through committees it's almost impossible to get consensus they all have different opinions on what should be done or with the course and yeah it's impossible i've got one last question and i think we'll get you out of here um we do apologize for taking up so much that's of your right. time i enjoyed the snooker <laughs> <laughs> didn't enjoy the podcast though <laughs> well i enjoyed the snooker more but the pod's been good <laughs> I'm sure there'll be it's, been, it's been a couple of years. It's been a couple of years since I've since I played. So it's you good. studied structural engineering and architecture uh-huh. in terms of building. Do you still do you look at buildings in awe? And if so, any golf club houses that you look at and go, yeah, are you into golf club houses at all? Because we're sat in a really bloody yeah. No, good no I do. No, I do. I do enjoy building architecture uh, a lot. Uh, funnily enough, the most interesting or the most you know, South Cape in South Korea, Kyle, okay. Kyle Phillips designed, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's made the World 100 list at some point. Uh, you know, the, the golf the golf course there is kind of like a, a docate on Tom's scale, but then the clubhouse architecture is like really contemporary and the buildings around, you know, like the housing units around like a 10, just like a, amazingly interesting, yeah. modern, high-end modern design with some really great, really great details, which is partly because the guy that developed it was South Korea's fashion guru. Right, okay. For for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that 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 one that one on the contemporary front. Then yeah, I just I kind of any any clubhouse that possesses, you know, a good a good sense of space feels in tune with the has got a good relationship to the golf course is really important. So Motown's a great example because it's kind of like quaint English countryside. Uh but then it's kind of really adjacent the 18th green feels feels mm. a part of the golf course and is also in play for anyone that hits a big hook. I've got one last question. I know we said that was the last, but this is the last. You were last tried. <coughs> Can we have one more question? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, I'm are, sorry. you are a very, very successful young architect and shaper. Um, if you went back to you at 18 years old, would you do the same things to get where you are now. And if you were giving advice to someone that wants to get into the industry, what advice would you give? Good question, Tom. I'll allow you to ask. Yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not a great believer in l- dwelling on things too much. Cause you know, you kind of learn, you learn from experiences, you learn from your mistakes. Uh, you know, I, I never mind. I never mind making a mistake. I just hate it's when you make the mistake twice, mm. you know, uh, so now I don't think I'd do much differently. Uh, 
you know, it's kind of like Tom, Tom, partly because of the way he set up his business and partly because, and mostly because he had a bunch of really, really talented guys that none of the young guys were ever really going to surpass. You know, he was really good at pushing us out to start our own businesses, you know, so my first consulting job was at, at 27, working at Titarangi in New Zealand, you know, kind of been learning, learning the business side of things has probably been the trickiest thing, you know, and as you get if your name kind of gets out there and you get a little busier, the hardest part is balancing the work, you know, being selective and what jobs you take on, you know, work, working in the UK with your consulting work, generally speaking, everyone wants to work in a one month window, mm. which is a nightmare because mm. you really, really want 12 Octobers mm. and, there's only, and, there's, and there's only one, you know, so finding, finding that balance uh, is probably the toughest part. Uh, but now for anyone wanting to get in the business, I mean, start young that helps you know not having you know it always used to be you know for for quite a long while uh and it probably still is in this country largely you know the way to get into it was you kind of study a landscape architecture degree and you'd kind of do the tradition the the post-war drawings hand over to a contractor model which is fine it's got its place for sure uh you know, but you know, being starting out young gives you, and you've got no family ties, you kind of gives you the chance to spend some time on a construction site learning that way. And you know, you probably don't need quite as much money to live as well, which helps, mm. you know, when, when the work's a bit more sporadic when, you, when you're starting out. Uh, but just, but just having a passion, but having a passion is really important. You know, the days are, the days are long, it's a lot of time away from home. Uh, and you know just a passion to go and see seeing 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 golf courses as well you know makes makes a big difference in that way you kind of you kind of networking at the same time meeting people mm-hmm. uh yeah. i'm not very good at that part i tend to avoid think, avoid I, human interaction but i think with all things in life it it's a mixture of being good and being lucky and you've done an, an you know incredible thing self-publishing a book and then sending it to tom with a letter and asking if you could intern and then you've got lucky that he's turned around and said yes so it's a combination of both but honestly Clyde like that's been a fascinating talk it was a fascinating frame snooker boys that took some time I was I was ready for like half an hour before the uh Mm. you went through two cycles of 15 minute lights while uh while that was was on the (laughs) pee eventually it's too hard can we get you back on the pod to do an eclectic 18 yeah sounds good I might just uh might just have a a few uh, a few practice pots here before I go. It's been yeah, it's yeah, been no. too, it's been too long. <laughs> We've got twenty p's on the light meters. You We've got right. twenty p's. Uh, that's great fun, though. And Clive, thank you so much for joining the pod. It's uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Good. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Watch this.